Hey, welcome to episode 68 of Shit We Don't Talk About, powered by Helix Interactive. My guest today is Dave Glazer, and the topic, modern dating and relationship tips. We'll talk about modern dating through the lens of attachment theory, enneagrams, and masculine and feminine energy dynamics. Yeah, that's a mouthful, which means I also need to whisper, that's what she said. As always, there's an accessibility transcript that can be found in the show notes at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. And the identifiers for the podcast, Dave is a white male in his 40s with dark hair, a beard, and mustache. I'm a white female with blonde hair and glasses in my 50s. I don't have a beard and mustache, at least not today. All right, strap in. It gets good. Here we go. Dave. Uh, testing, good. Yeah. Sound good? How are you? Loud and, loud and clear. I'm doing well. <laughs> All right. Listen, so, you know, when I initially approached you about this podcast, which obviously you have your own podcast on this, which does make you the reason why I want to talk to you today. And you're, you're walking the talk, right? As best I can. Yeah. As best you can. Right. We're all sometimes lumping around on this one. Um, <laughs> we wanted to call this dating tips and dick pics. Uh, we may get into that, but I just think the title is so funny. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that both of those things are very valuable to talk about in 2022. <laughs> yeah, in this, uh, this internet age. Exactly. What I'm, what I, again, what I said before I hit the record button is I'm literally just here to take notes from you right? <laughs> to sit at the feet. And I also think that a lot of people are, are are really curious about how to do this. I love what not to do. We don't necessarily have to do that, but I'm sure you'll give us some good juicy ones, right? Oh yeah. I've definitely learned throughout my single life what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think that you would think that after recording a bunch of episodes with experts and guests on the podcast and then sharing my personal life on Instagram and TikTok that I wouldn't be making mistakes anymore, but that's not true. Um, what I've what I've found that's um, really beautiful and really encouraging is that I have my stuff and I'm meeting somebody else who has their stuff and we're trying to combine our stuff in the healthiest way possible. I think, and that's a, that's a form of lived experience. So you're, you know, you're actually doing the work as, as you go along with it and bringing people, which, which makes this information even more accessible. I think, I think a lot of experts couch themselves or or put themselves out there as in, as if like, I got it all. And we found how many, if not all of them have feet of clay, right? Oh, I I could, I could not possibly represent myself like that. Um, I am. That would be a red flag. Speaking of which I was, I just want to say. I've been saying this lately about dating that it looks like a, it looks like a cape, but it's a red flag, right? <laughs> yeah. Look at this bouquet of uh, flowers I brought you, but it's made out of red, red flags. <laughs> right. And they're going to unfurl larger and larger as we go. Along. Right. <laughs> right. The modern, modern culture is all about memes and sharing, sharing truths through memes. And I think my favorite meme of all time out there is I'm not going to do a boyfriend reveal. I'm going to do a husband reveal at the wedding. Listen, I don't know what we did before memes and gifts, so I have to let you know that is my love language nowadays <laughs> because they're so succinct and I absolutely love them. So, all right, let's dive in. So this is what I love <laughs> that you sent to me, not like we haven't already. Again, let's see how many times I say that's what she said. We could turn that into a drinking game. But this is what you sent to me on topics you want to discuss. And I was like, yes, yes, and more of that. 
modern dating through the lens of attachment theory, Enneagram, and masculine feminine energy dynamics. So listen, talk to me like I'm a two-year-old, although if I was a two-year-old, I wouldn't be in the dating scene. So, you know, use your judgment. No, no. I mean, I had my first kiss in preschool Mm. and uh, I don't think that had as much to do with um, technology as say like the kids nowadays are impacted. Um, But the curiosity starts young. You know, Mm. I was always a little bit girl crazy. Nice. Even as a five-year-old. <laughs> oh, I was a boy crazy five-year-old. My first boyfriend, Randy Taylor, 1970. Oh, you remember the name? Oh, I do. Yeah, that's that's where I that's where I sit on that side of the conversation. So, but I love mm-hmm. that, and I I think society really demonizes that too, though, and makes it unhealthy, right? So that's there's the start of our dating problems. Oh yeah, uh, definitely the cultural narratives that we hold on to, <clears throat> whether that be. Um, a, a religious narrative that we were brought mm. up with or um, a psychobiological social narrative that um, that puts a gender in a certain place. And those are narratives that are unconscious and conscious in our in our society. I, I think what's interesting too is a lot of people like to do the good old days kind of conversation of you know what it was like before kids these days, you know that whole. Narrative. I will say, being in my fifties now, I love the fact that a lot of my shit-tastic behavior in my twenties and thirties was not documented. So I have that going for me. However, uh, who's to say that that <laughs> having the internet or not having the internet was, you know, making it better or worse for how it is? And I think it's just overall the way society is that it's you know it's age old of the kind of shit and the the kind of dialogue we get, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that technology makes the world a very small place, but it also makes it a very big place where, um, where a lot of different narratives can be, can be perpetuated. And I need to check myself on a lot of the narratives that I put out there in my Mm -hmm. social media content. It's something that I've, I've definitely become more aware of when, when I put a, a clip, a short little video out about attachment theory. I will receive feedback from both the anxious and the avoidant that I'm displaying in that video in ways, forms of criticism, absolutely, of like, don't you dare demonize women, da 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 Well, I actually didn't use gender in my video, but I did highlight the kind of the extreme versions of anxiously attached <clears throat> and how polarizing um, that relationship, if they're in one with an avoidantly attached person, can be. And, and so I think that I wouldn't have met as many great people in the last year as I have, if it weren't for TikTok and going viral multiple times that, that I'm grateful for it, but I'm also like wary of my own responsibility in that perpetuating um, narratives. And I follow you on both. So I'll put this in the show notes, y'all, but Dave is uh, at Dave.G-L-A-S-E-R Glazer. So go follow him because the, the thing that I like, and I'm going to toot your horn for a little bit. So sit back. Sit Bring back, it. I, I can anymore. always, uh, I just glow in the appreciation <laughs> yeah, who like the masculine want? wants to do. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. I love that. Yeah. But I do love the one thing we said before we started too, is that I appreciate and that we that you are going genderless on this because you talked about specifically in some of your great information, which is why I love your content about having a relationship that was gaslighting and was, what's the word? I just forgot. What's the other one? Gaslighting and 
narcissistic. Narcissistic. I think I'm I'm blocking yeah. it out a little bit. And yeah, I've I've that's seen understandable. Couple, I've right. <laughs> I've seen a couple of things that get very specific about even books written about the narcissism, narcissist and why why he operates this way. And I'm like, stop it, stop, stop gendering it. But right. what I like too in your content is you you ask a lot of questions. And so again, getting away from being the expert about it, it's more the the interactive of, hey, you know, what do you think? What do you think this is? And and then you you post your reactions too, which I really like as well. Yeah, so thank you very much. It shows a lot of vulnerability. And I think mm. dating um it, it, in the dating world, it, it vulnerability is is such a difficult thing to approach. Would you oh, agree? Yeah. Mm, yeah, I struggle with vulnerability. And a lesson that I learned recently that I'm actually still processing a lot of grief and some remorse around is that I was afraid of apologizing for something that I could take responsibility for because of how vulnerable that feels. Mm. And I, I learned my lesson. I can understand how another person would feel when they don't receive an apology. And, um, and I get to grow beyond that. I get to grow from that, even though I'm still facing that grief that goes along with it. Sure. Sure. I mean, that, again, that's part of the, the learning curve as well. So I love the, what I've been listening to a lot of is a lot of what not to do. I listened to a podcast called something was wrong. I mean, you talk about shit show of a lot of times I end up yelling. I'm like, girl, come on, sir, come on. <laughs> Cause some of it seems super obvious, but it is a lot of dating stories. And then I watch a show on YouTube about catfishing. Um, oh. those, those are the, the ultimate and what not to do's, but I, I think of a lot of it has to do with people that have attachment issues. Um, so talk to me about that. Learn me on this one, attachment theory and avoidant attachment. Oh, I know right. how much time do we have? <laughs> yeah, I'll try I'll try to be brief and succinct for our conversation today, but there are four different types of attachment styles. Um, six technically, but we'll only cover the first four as pertains to our conversation today. About 50% of the population is securely attached, <clears throat> which is good news for a lot of people. Um, but they tend to self-select themselves out of the dating pool very quickly. They attract and are attracted to other securely attached people. Okay. And they make the decision to couple up faster than the other attachment styles. That's and so keep moving. I'm just kidding. <laughs> And so there's about 25% of the population that's avoidantly attached. Okay. Uh, they tended to grow up in a, in a home where um, they had absolutely no predictability of where love was going to come from, from their caregivers. So they went ahead and met their, own, met their needs on their own. 20% uh, of the population is anxiously attached. And that came from a household growing up in your childhood where uh, love was very even more unpredictable of sometimes it would be closeness. Sometimes it would be extreme distance from caregivers. And so the anxiously attached person formed an idea in their head of like, if I don't cling to this person, they will leave me. Mm. And it shows up in adult relationships very frequently. Um, that's where the term needy and clingy comes from, mm. uh, in modern dating. And, and we really want to rewrite that narrative because, um, it's only perceived clinginess and neediness not oh. actual clinginess. We could stop the interview right now. <laughs> that is such a, oh, that, that gives me a sense of relief actually, because that, mm. that name calling 
is is a huge piece. And and that's actually also being protective of yourself or being, you know, feeling like, oh, I, I need to throw a name out so that I don't have to maybe see that person. Mm. But I think that goes with the mental wellness piece that we're so missing in our world right now. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, very well said. That's part of it. You too. Boy, I like that. Okay. So that's good. Those are good odds. So we have 50% mm-hmm. that have the, that are, uh, had, don't have an attachment disorder. Do you feel like this is a new dialogue? I feel like it, it is in some ways in the, in the dating world of, of having these, these kind of tools. Yeah, it's relatively new in the psychology world that um, attachment styles have been researched since about the mid 60s. But I think that with the advent of social media, that has truly perpetuated the narrative of one one person complaining about the neediness of their partner, but not understanding of where that comes from. Mm. And I do believe that all attachment styles can be in relationship with each other. The best case scenario is that an avoidantly or anxiously attached person finds a securely attached person and they are guided on the path to what secure attachment, uh, it's called earned security, looks like in a relationship. And so- See me taking notes? (laughs) Yeah, I see you taking notes. I love that. And then finally, the last 5% of uh, our attachment styles that we won't dig into are um, fearful avoidant anxiously avoidant, preoccupied and fearful avoidant, which is my personal, um, my personal attachment style. Plus there's sociopaths, psychopaths, and narcissists in that last 5%. Oh boy. Yeah. That's a lot too. And I mean, I, I would think too, and I love that best case scenario. That was very sweet. I, I, I think emotional intelligence, I love that that is on the rise and that discussion is, is becoming genderless in a way too, so that it's not like women have to do all the heavy lifting of, you know, carrying all that emotional uh, baggage and, and then the guesswork too. I think there's a lot of guesswork. I just read this really, uh, actually it was on crappy childhood fairy. That's my favorite of, of talking about CPTSD. That's where in the last year of being single, I've done a lot of work um, with complex or childhood PTSD. And one story that she read a scenario was a, was a guy that um, that the woman was definitely an introvert and it was quite painful, but she was really good about saying her boundaries, but he wasn't listening. He was the one writing in. And it was so interesting that he was assigning all these different things to her, um, even though she was communicating very clearly. And I know we're talking about things that are not, you know, that, that are a little more dramatic, but I thought Mm -hmm. it was so interesting how much he was like, well, maybe she's X, Y, Z, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be too. 100%. Um I spent some time with guy friends a few weeks ago in the mountains and and one of my one of my friends was he was definitely sharing about his relationship challenges and um trying to put a label on what this person had. And I caution anyone and everyone from placing a label on others, mm. especially when we're not clinical. Uh, clinical psychologists or forensic psychologists, psychiatrists, um, that's a slippery slope to enter into because then we're simply just pointing the finger at somebody else where when we point the finger, there's three pointing back at us. And that comes from somewhere, doesn't it? It it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Yeah. And again, I think that's the defensive behavior though. 
mm-hmm. that that we use when when we when we don't have use our emotional intelligence. So great point on that too. So we've got the attachment styles, and then and so do you. Do you so it sounds like knowing what your attachment style, which is what you've determined as well. I think mine is might be the second one. Um, what was the second one you mentioned? Avoidantly attached or anxious uh, avoidant? I might be a little poo-poo platter of both. <laughs> How about that? Do you think yeah. figuring that out for yourself is one of the most important things? I mean, even if you're in a relationship, don't you think that's one of the most important things to figure out is you might be moving from, I might be stating the obvious here. But like figuring it out really does help you kind of get to the next level of how you communicate or how you even work with people or people with people. I mean, yes. And I think that's a very good question. I think that self-awareness in any relationship, especially the relationship with yourself is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, What's most beneficial is that if you're struggling with relationships in general, then this can be a helpful tool. Uh, what's not helpful about the tool is that we oftentimes come um, or are reminded of our childhood and our coping mechanisms or the um, attachment strategies that we developed in our childhood. We're like, well, this is just the way that I am. Ooh. And and as an anxiously attached person, you might actually hear yourself saying that of like, well, I, I just really need you to be close to me. And that's the way that I am. What we can't bypass is why that is the case or what feels familiar about that for you. If you really enjoy closeness with your partner and your partner is pulling away. Uh, That's some of the language that I hear from clients and from um, people on social media when discussing their attachment style of like, well, that's just the way that I am. And accepting it is one thing. (laughs) Yeah. Accepting that about ourselves is one thing, but doing something about it is another. So I feel as if my uh, attachment style, fearful avoidant, is a gift. It's a challenging gift to work with, but it it helps me empathize with both the anxious and the avoidant attachment style because I have both within me. Mm. And I flip-flop between those poles depending on who my partner is. If they're avoidantly attached, I'll be a little bit more needy and clingy. Mm-hmm. It's a tendency of mine and vice versa. If they're anxiously attached, I'll find myself pulling away quite a bit more than say like a securely attached person. Right. Unless I choose to do something about it. Right. And so what I love that too, so that's getting away from that's just the way I am, which I think that is where, where a lot of people are at on their emotional health, right? There's like, like I've determined that this is the, you know, what it is. And uh, if we stop at that though, that, that's a lot of dysfunctional people out in the mm-hmm. world for sure too. Yeah. I, and I, I would think trauma bonding, where, where does trauma bonding fall in with all of this? Mm, that's a very good question. I appreciate you asking. And to, to dig a little bit deeper into <clears throat> the polarity of how attachment styles show up in our lives, uh, the anxious and the avoidant are actually gravitationally pulled to, towards each other like a magnet. And what it's called is either the push-pull dynamic or the anxious avoidant trap. And that's a really nice, safe way to say codependent. What, how codependency comes into these relationships is that the avoidant will pull away from the anxious and the anxious will step into that space that's created by the avoidant. And then because that closeness scares the avoidant, they will step even further away and then the anxious will come closer again. 
And how that's codependent is that the avoidant will enable the anxious to continue to do that process. And it's a continuation that is the trap of like the avoidant wants closenesses and intimacy, but they're very afraid of it. They're like, I don't want to give up my independence. And when the anxious gives them attention, that feels good, but too much attention. And then they pull away. And so it's this, this chase that is developed and that's codependency in this particular case where the trauma bond actually comes in is trauma bonding is a lot like codependency. There's a need there almost as if like the avoidant and the anxious, when they get into this trap, they feed off of that energy of like, this is the only way that I feel love is familiar to me. So what's interesting. So, and I know we, we dove and I led it that way into more into relationships, but I think that's almost more important to, to lay that groundwork of like, okay, here's what it looks like when you're getting in with the different people. So, and that's why I love that figuring out what your style is, I would think can help you when you start dating and start realizing these, you know, these, these different things that come up. There's, there's unknowing things. I would think just, you know, people reacting how they do, if they're not aware of their attachment style. And then there are things because I listen to all those crazy shows, like the, the something was wrong love bombing. I didn't know about that until like the last year or two. I was like, Oh, I mean, that's a giant red flag. Mm -hmm. So I think the more that you're familiar with yourself, then you can go out and look for that. Right. Yeah. Great thing to bring up as, as I've learned more and more about attachment styles and how they show up in my own life, love bombing can come from both attachment styles, anxious or avoidant. The anxious will love bomb the avoidant because they're like, um, yeah, here I am. It's, it's called yeah. a protest behavior of like, I'm going to come on strong. Like I always have, but it's okay because I love you so quickly. I, I trust you. I know you so that you won't leave me. Mm. And the avoidant will love bomb in an attempt to change their own narrative or their own past experience and their relationship programming of like, well, this time will be different. So I'm going to love bomb them in the first three, three weeks to manipulate them into trusting me that I won't leave them. And then as soon as the anxious receives that, they're like, like a sucker fish. Yeah. And then guess what? The avoidant starts to pull away. And that's, that's why three weeks in four weeks in or three months in is really key milestones to, to be conscious of when it comes to the anxious avoidant trap. So everything that I've been reading or seeing as, as far as any kind of dating advice and dating information, certainly from what you put out there and some different things that, that, that the slow and the, the slow approach, which is the antithesis of what society is like. I mean, everything is like just that. I mean, it's always been like that as far as, you know, movies and books and things like that. Everything's everything. It's always all the love, the love movies start with like the very beginning of what's going to be the long tail of the relationship, you know, the wedding, the meet cute, whatever it is, as opposed to that, you know, that long haul of getting to know them. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, to, to me, it sounds like the slow, the slow piece is, is probably the best advice, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I like the transition that we're taking here in the conversation because the slow approach is something that the anxious of attachment style can be very appreciative and conscious of to help them self-soothe. What I like to talk to my my anxiously uh, attached clients is 
what is your comfortable, what is your comfort level with dating more than one person at a time so that we don't become singularly attached to one person? It's called uh, the myth of the one is how I like to phrase that. There's not the one out there for us. That's just perpetuated by Disney and movies, as you were describing of like, Mm -hmm. this is how love is supposed to be when actuality, love is a verb. Love is a choice. Love is something that we wake up every morning actively pursuing. And that's the true gift of relationship. Those are fighting words for some folks though, because they love that, that myth, that perpetuation of, because what it's what they're comfortable with. Um, rather than that. And even you saying that of like dating several people once, I'm like, Ooh, um, that, that felt weird. Right. Cause, because that, that's not, um, especially for women, not to, to let's gender it for a second, because we, we both sit on the opposite sides of this. Um, I think for, for, you know, women, it's, it's probably even a tougher thing. Would you say to, to master because men, you know, player, the whole thing, you're okay with that, but guess what women get called? Talk about labels. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think that there's a double standard in our society when it comes to that. Um, I'm seeing, uh, let's see, I'm seeing more of an opportunity for sexual liberation and, um, personal liberation in, in our culture these days where, Mm. you know, hot girl walks was a big thing this summer. Um, you know, boss babe, boss babe and things like that. (laughs) Right. I think that I think that we can expand our conversation beyond just dating multiple people. And as the anxious attachment need, can be aware of and can ex, can grow and develop through is, okay, maybe it's not the right fit to date multiple people at one time, but what other hobbies, passions, and pursuits do you have in your life? What other relationships do you have in your life that are equally or more important than your partner? Mm. Because it's not dating multiple people, that's the solution. It's understanding why we hyper-focus on one partner or one relationship that is the key path to growth. And when we have hobbies and pursuits and passions outside of our partnership, for the anxiously attached person, that is the gift. That's the path to growth. Wow. I, I wish that was said more often and keep saying it. I know, keep doing what you're doing because I think that piece right there, and, and it's so interesting because everybody does focus on. And that, that is that like, once I have X, Y, Z, I mean, you can, you can apply that to a lot of things, this job, once I, uh, I want kids. So once I have the kids and I'll have this, not me, by the way, <laughs> uh, I understand it was a like, proverbial we or yeah, proverbial yeah, I, yeah. But, right, right. And it, but, but there's always that something. So then when you're right, when you just sort of parse that out or start outsourcing to different things of happiness, that and again, that people don't like that. Hollywood certainly right. doesn't like that. The general narrative right. doesn't. But I, I do love the idea to go back to that too of more of the. Um, I don't know if you said this, but like this, the sexual freedom and more of the um, the freedom for women to express that as well and get away from. And I'm really dumbing this down, but to get away from the Madonna horror situation because mm, mm-hmm. that's yeah. really what it it came down to. And it's interesting with what's going on in the world. No matter where you stand, generally my audience to stand on more of the blue side, but, uh, and if, and if you're not come over to this side, if you like, but I, <laughs> I think the, the freedom of what's going on with, um, uh, reproductive rights and reproductive freedom really ties into this as far mm-hmm. as relationships and, and power for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, I appreciate you speaking to it from your, from your perspective. 
God, it's I and I and I encourage people for more of that. All right, so talk to me about Enneagram and the power of that because I think that would pair nicely with also also knowing your attachment style and and what and how you would do in dating or improving your current relationship. Mm, yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's another helpful, useful tool that I've grown a lot through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm known as the challenger on the on the Enneagram, the Type Eight. So you're I'm, eight too. I'm an I know eight. Debbie yeah. Shear is the one who told me that she helped me figure out that I, that I was eight. So, and y'all, yeah. I'll, I'll put some links in there. Dave did a, a great, I don't know if you just did it on stories or on a post, but you did a wonderful series about the, the different Enneagram, the numbers and the styles. And I, I, what was nice is that I looked at other numbers, just not my own, not, mm. not just my own. And I, mm. which it was kind of fun to see too. Sure. Was that the hinge prompt series for the Enneagram types? Yeah. That's one of my favorite things. I liked that a lot. I like that a lot too. So talk about that. I mean, I know it's, it's probably uh, some people know about it. It's spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. I like to spell things out for a lot of folks who are just Mm -hmm. listening and are are hands-free right now, but how do you find that out? And what do you do with that? Sure. uh, It's a recommendation that I like to point clip people too, is to go to nine types.com and take the free version of the Reti version. And then they, they're open to sending a screenshot over to me on Instagram. And then I'll send them an extra links for more information. Okay. What I've found through the lens of the Enneagram is that we have nine levels of optimal health. Uh, one being your optimal self, your highest self, and nine being uh, where you struggle most, where the shadow is actually going to show up for you. And the shadow holds things that we don't want other people to see. It holds things that we don't want to address ourselves. And the Enneagram is a great tool to help us access what's hidden in the shadow. Mm. So as it, as it pertains to relationships, if we're struggling both with our attachments and then also with our communication, when we look at the Enneagram and I'm sitting anywhere from like a five, a six or lower on the Enneagram. Uh, through the description and in each individual type, I need to take a look at my own personal growth and development through the lens of the Enneagram in order to kind of write the ship on my own. Hmm. And this is, this is essentially interdependence is what I'm describing here is I'm in partnership. I'm struggling in my partnership. What can I take responsibility of and how can I learn more about myself to do it? What I can take responsibility of is that I'm hiding things in my shadow that I don't want my partner or myself to take a look at at this time. And it's kind of like oozing out of me. It's leaking out of me in my energy Mm. and it's going to impact my relationship. I preface all of that with uh, the segue into attachment styles. If I'm sitting at a five, a six or lower on the Enneagram, that's when my attachment style becomes activated. If I'm living in my shadow, if I'm not looking at things in my life that I'm struggling with, I will distance myself from my partner. I will Hmm. pull away and I won't be leaning in anymore. If I'm with an anxiously attached person, guess what? They're going to want closeness and they're going to want intimacy to make themselves feel right again in the world. And I need distance in order to feel right again in the world. So there are two useful tools that we can both integrate within ourselves temporarily or as a foundation for self-awareness and personal growth um, to access the things that we don't want our partner to see or that we're not willing to take a look at ourselves. So is the Enneagram fluid? It's very fluid. Yes. We can, we can move around to different types. Uh, We can become 
a higher version self. We can become a lower version self all within the same day, mm. all within the same week. Uh, Thank God. I thought it was years. just me. <laughs> no. like, do I have to be something all, all the time? I don't think I can. Yeah, right. No, definitely. We're not wanting to be put into a box here. No. And I think that what I really like about this conversation too, is that I, I, I don't get that impression when I think about Enneagram and, and maybe that's why I was curious at looking the other numbers. I think I even commented to you like, Ooh, I want to be a four or something. It was, I can't remember. As an eight, you can become like the four, right? Just split it in half. All right. (laughs) Well, if you're open to it, I'll briefly describe how the eight can become like a four. Yes, please. All right. So what I mean by optimal levels of health is when we're closer to a one or a two or a three on our levels, one through nine, we, we tend to resemble as eights more of like the helper, the two, but only, but more so the best version of a two, somebody who has self-deprecating humor, somebody who is very unique and individual in this world. And that's how we become like the four is because when the two is very integrated, they're resembling more of the four. And so that's how the fluidity of the Enneagram kind of flows around the chart uh, from day to day. When I'm at my best, I have a very good sense of humor. I have self-deprecating humor, but not in a self-critical way. I actually uh, use it to drive deep connection with a partner or with a coworker or with a family member. Um, because it gets us laughing, it gets us connecting, it gets us deeply intimate in a moment. And that's how the fluid, the Enneagram becomes. And if you want to be like a four, well, then the personal growth and development that we get to choose to work on every day gets us towards that number. Boom. I love that. (laughs) Because I literally did think in terms of uh, maybe this is me, folks. So I'm just, this is my show. So I, I can't make it about me for a second. But I think it's because I thought you just, you know, you find that diagnosis and then you figure out a way to either deal with that or be that. So thank you for that, that mm-hmm. permission for all of us to say, okay, what whatever it is you are, you can be a work in progress. And it really goes back to dropping that. That's just the way I am. Mm. Yeah. That we that we all truly truly need to drop it. All right, here's the the last juicy piece that I'm totally digging is the masculine and feminine energy dynamics. I mean, because we're so divided with um, with these two things, and it's so fluid. I mean, think about even our hormones. I'm on hormone replacement therapy. I mean, talk about this now. I have you know testosterone and estrogen and progesterone, mm-hmm. and it's just this mm-hmm. like fabulous ecosystem of feeling wonderful because I have the balance. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be the same thing, obviously, with masculine and feminine energy and the dynamics of that. In yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that transition. I, I'd love to close out the conversation of tying the masculine and feminine into the attachment styles. Uh, what I do want to acknowledge is that we all have, each and every one of us, both masculine and feminine energy within us. Some of us tend to lean more towards a, a core energy of masculine or of feminine. Mm -hmm. I'm probably a little bit more like 60% feminine, 40% masculine, if I could be completely honest. What I had to understand through through getting to know myself through the attachment style and attachment theory lens is that when I feel anxious in my relationship, I become very dysregulated. I become very needy, perceived needy, and I become very perceptively clingy as well when I'm feeling anxious in my relationship. 
when I'm feeling avoidant in my relationship, I can actually become um, very petulant, uh, very mm-hmm. childlike, uh, mm-hmm. somebody who bratty. pushes people away, right? Yes, bratty is a good word for it. But why I preface the masculine and feminine energy conversation with that information is because the solution to becoming anxious in any area of our lives, in a relationship, at work, in our relationship with ourselves, the solution to anxiety is to become grounded again or to become regulated again. And that, knowing that, well, okay, well, groundedness, centeredness, presence is masculine energy. So if I feel very flighty and very uh, batshit crazy, okay, you can edit that out. If I feel very chaotic, if I feel like the storm, well, then I know that I'm sitting in my feminine energy, which can be coincidentally a lot like anxiety. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm tuned into my body through an embod- embodiment practice, then I can recognize that about myself. Oh, I'm in my feminine right now, which means that I could be showing up as anxiously attached. But if I write the ship and I get grounded again through breath work, through jujitsu, through journaling, through meditation, mm-hmm. through prayer, through yoga, if I can become grounded in my masculine energy, then I'm no longer experiencing my anxious attachment style. And to be clear, we're not talking gender either for anybody who's getting butt twisted about that at, at all, because it's easy to be like, oh, you mean more like a man and then a woman. And that's not what we're saying at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and just energy. And yes. And I, I love, uh, for one, dysregulation is huge. Is it, is it DYS? Is that how it's spelled or is it DIS dysregulation? I think it's DIS. DIS. Gotcha. So y'all mm-hmm. g- Google that as well, too. That, that is a, a huge piece that I've really been learning about with mm-hmm. CPTSD, but the embodiment practices I think mm-hmm. are just an incredible way to, to take yourself back to it. That to, to me, that has to be a daily practice though. Mm. It really, really does. And, and even in short bursts, I would think, which is what I, I do as well too. And I, I love that you're into jujitsu. Jiu-jitsu. I think that's um, the different modalities. I think like finding your own or bouncing around between some, right? Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. can stay in that. So, but I like that too, that I think that that's something that that men and women or people in general, let me, let me take gender out and, and, and entirely, just people in general could could really practice because then that's your touchstone. And back to that too, of not looking to that person, not looking to an outside source as well too. That's when I get super woo and spiritual, <laughs> mm. not looking to any outside source of being mm. your, um, what keeps you calm and what keeps you regulated. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I can appreciate how you how you said that as well. Daily practice. The daily practice takes a lot of discipline, mm-hmm. which is a masculine energy. And so if I'm struggling in my relationship, if I'm feeling anxious for any reason, I need to come back to the discipline. And I need to remind myself that a lot of structure in my life is a good thing. Structure of jujitsu four to five times a week at the same time each and every single week, you know? So there are often times when I say no to a partner on a Wednesday or Friday evening, because I have prior commitments of my own self-care routine. Mm. And I think that's what's, that's just so healthy that when you're keeping the boundary and you're setting the boundary with the person, and I would think that would be a, a kind of a good indicator or a, a green or a red flag 
Mm-hmm. We talk so much about red flags. Green flags are mm-hmm. very under underappreciated and, and undersung right. in a lot of ways too. But I would think that would be either a great green or a red flag to, to see how that person um, does not cross that boundary for mm-hmm. it too. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'm going to throw out a couple questions. Yes or no? Dick pics? <laughs> What do you what do what do you, what do you say about dick pics? I say that between two consensual adults who are in a relationship and they have expectations around when and how that gets sent, sure, mm-hmm. I say be playful. I say be sexual. I say create a lot of anticipation and mystery in your relationship of like, oh, am I going to get a sexy pic today? <laughs> now, I'm not saying that dick pics are sexy. But I do understand that intimacy in a relationship is very sexy. God, if you're yeah. if you're if you're brand new Playful. to meeting somebody, yes, fuck no, <laughs> don't you dare send a dick pic. <laughs> because you know what you could get is somebody that says, "Oh, I, I would not send that to anyone if I were you." <laughs> well, good. you better believe that the person who receives it sends it to their group chat, and they're oh. like, "Hey, got another one." And <laughs> look at this. And the way that the world is changing nowadays with technology is California is actually making that a sexual offense. They just passed that law. Wow. I, I, and good I do, for them too. And I, I agree. And I think on, on so many levels, because, you know, this is how a lot of people are coerced as well. Um, that, that there's, there's a lot of things that get out there and get into the wrong hands. Then when we're just talking between consensual consenting adults mm-hmm. of, of age. So I would say, yeah, you know, you know, use caution with that mm-hmm. too. But again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can it's get the boundaries. feedback. It is about boundaries. Absolutely. Uh, any parting dating, uh, dating tips you want to give us or anything to, red flags or green flags to look for. Green flags to look for are uh, consistent communication. I think that that term right there could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I've received feedback in the last couple of months because I'm not a texter. Dave, you're a terrible communicator. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm curious about that. What does communication between dates look like for you? And if it's something that I'm interested in, if it's a person that I want to build a partnership with and I'm open to exploring what the possibilities are there, then I can step in. At least this gives me the chance to step in or step out. I love that. And that puts responsibility on both people, mm. not just to you to uh, step up to the plate that they they have not even set for you or not even give, given you the what their, uh, what their requirements are. So mm-hmm. now, and said, so instead of you being defensive, you came mm-hmm. back and said, all right, what does that look like to you? Ooh, mm-hmm. that's really good. I like that a lot too. How about any red flags? I think I have one, but I want to hear yours. I think that um, the biggest red flag that we can acknowledge in modern dating is the disappearing act and then the reappear. The, you could call that a um, submarine. I think is the terminology that the kids are using with technology. But if somebody disappears with no warning, with no communication about like, hey, I just had a family member pass away. I need to take four or five days to to be with my family and to take care of this grief that I'm experiencing. Mm. If somebody just disappears and then expects that they can come back into your life at any time, that's a huge red flag. 
That's not honoring the container of the relationship and it's not honoring or respecting the other person as a human being. And that's not something that we should have to ask for. I would think that would be the other red flag that if I actually have to say that to you, then that's a big red flag that, that that's not a normalized behavior. Mm. Right. Mm. Oh, all right. That's really good. All right. How do people work with you? Are you work? Are you've got your podcast? So everybody go and I'm going to have this in the show notes too, but simple, excellent branding, by the way, daveglazer.com. I mean, come on, not tough to find you, but can people work with you online, online programs, obviously? Absolutely. I have a lot of ways that people can engage. Um, one-on-one coaching is available. I have a couple of slots left. Group coaching is available as well through the challenge group where we approach uh, our life in a holistic way with five pillars of optimal health, physical, mental, emotional, financial, and spiritual are the topics of conversation that we touch on in our weekly group coaching program. How many people are in that generally? I keep that group to 10 or fewer. Good. I like it. Okay, good. I mean, if you had more, not judging on that either, but I think a lot of people do like uh, enough so they can get that interaction, which I love too. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the beauty and the flow of other members of the group bringing what's going on in their life too. So Mm -hmm. awesome. And then just follow your content, uh, follow Dave's content because it's very interactive and and it's it's up to date. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Dave. We appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in and make sure to follow Dave at daveglazer.com. That's D-A-V-E-G-L-A-S-E-R.com. Get in touch if you are interested in his programs. I'll have all the links in the show notes at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a review, especially if it's a good one. If you really like the podcast and you want to show it, Head on over to, you guessed it, shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. Click on the patrons button and become a full-time supporter of the podcast. And if you want your very own podcast, but you don't know where to start, go to helix-interactive.com and get yourself some. And tell them that Mia sent you. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.